Welcome to BIV Today, the podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe. The results of the U.S. midterm elections yesterday still aren't conclusive. There's still some counting to go, but Republicans have retained control of the House of Representatives. It appears Democrats may hold the Senate, perhaps in need of a tiebreaker vote after vote after vote after vote. Uh, But we're also likely on the eve of a formal declaration of Donald Trump as a candidate again for the presidency in 2024. We're fortunate on the day after the elections in the looming likelihood of a Trump candidacy for the Republican Party to have as a guest Gordon Sondland. He's a founder and chairman of Providence Hotel Chain. Some of those holdings might be familiar to our audience here in Vancouver, the Paramount in Seattle, the Sentinel in Portland, I think are part of the holdings uh, that he has. But more germane to our conversation is that he became the ambassador to the European Union under Trump and is the author of a new book, really a a rollicking book, a lot of fun to read. Uh, nice saltily uh, languaged as well. The Envoy, Mastering the Art of Diplomacy with Trump and the World. Now, so much has happened in even his, his two years in that role, but among the more notable observations of his record was his opposition to the construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from Russia, the one that seems to be uh, holding Europe hostage right now, because it would, as we now know, create a dependence on what he described as a bare-chested version of the Harry Potter villain Lord Voldemort. Um, he also called Trump a narcissist and said Trump acted like a dick, his word, not mine, when they first met. Um, he was the only administration official also to honor the subpoena to testify in the impeachment trial of Trump. And both sides in the trial seemed to use his testimony to argue their positions about whether there was a quid pro quo for Ukraine to receive security assistance by investigating the conduct of the son of Joe Biden. Uh, what's clear, though, is that he has recent insight into Ukraine and its president, and I want to get to that in our discussion. But first, because we only have about 15 minutes or so with him, let me welcome Gordon Sondland to the podcast. Good to see you. Good to see you, Kirk. Thanks for having me. Hey, your takeaways from yesterday's election so far? Well, I, I'm beginning to see that the election is really beginning to be a repudiation of Donald Trump's denial of the election results in January 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I wished that Biden had not won the election. Uh, the policies that the Biden administration has adopted, many of which were simply reversals of Trump policies, which whether you're a Democrat or Republican, were actually working reasonably well, uh, have taken our country in a direction that I don't think even many Democrats want to see it go. Uh, But he did win the election. He he is our legal president. And I wish that President Trump had had not participated or countenanced the events of January 6th. I wish he had just beat Biden in the ballot box in 2024. Uh, So I think what you're seeing there is that even with the high rate of inflation that we have, with the crime, with everything else, people do not want to elect Trump-sponsored candidates. Mm. So does this make his path back to the White House a little harder or much harder? I think it makes it much harder. Uh, I think that it's easy to get a candidate through a primary when the red meat Uh, is tossed for the voters to devour. But Mm -hmm. once people have to be thoughtful in the general election and the entire electorate participates, uh, all of a sudden people tend to be a little bit more reticent to some of the more extreme views that some of these Trump folks have. And again, election denial, again, I did not want Trump to lose the election, but he did. 
And election yeah. denial breaks one of the pillars of our society. Yeah, there, there was quite a repudiation of most of those deniers at the polls yesterday, uh, it seemed. But there are still some. Uh, there are still some. I want to know, though, who do you think now is his most serious Republican rival? Is it Ron DeSantis? Is it Mike Pompeo? Is it someone else? Well, as of today, it's clearly Ron DeSantis. But this is very, very early times. Um, whether it's Vice President Pence, Secretary Pompeo, Ambassador Haley, Governor Youngkin, or Governor DeSantis, we have some incredibly good candidates in the field, any of whom could hit the ground running as president in 2024, and many of whom would carry most of the policies that President Trump had in place forward. And I wish that one of those folks would would run and succeed, because I don't think that even if President Trump were elected in 2024, which I think is a tall order, he would be unable to govern. The amount of investigations and the amount of headwind that he would have would really be damaging to the country. And those same policies that we want to see employed again, he would have a very hard time putting in place. It just seems that right now his party doesn't want to stop him. Well, I think you're going to see some things change over the course of the next six months. Mm. Uh, this red wave never materialized that everyone was predicting, and it should have materialized. All of the things were in place for a red wave, yet mm. people really, really have a problem with a lot of these Trump nominees. Mm. You know, you're both hoteliers. You have that common history, I guess, but your families of origins are pulls apart. I mean, your your family are Holocaust survivors. Trump came out of money uh, for a couple of generations. I mean, but is is the survival attitude, the survival instinct that both of you have, um, kind of the common attribute that bound you? I think so. Uh, I think, as I point out in the envoy, one of the reasons that uh, Trump didn't want to put a transition team together, which I I completely empathize with, because. I'm very superstitious about doing a victory dance until the deal has closed and the check has cleared. And mm. by not having put a transition team together, he really lost the opportunity to deploy loyalists in some of the most critical positions in the U.S. government day one. And that cost him dearly. So I yeah. understand that mindset. Trust me. <laughs> Is it a kind of a lone wolf? Uh, I'm going to do it on my own thing? Exactly. You hit it on, you hit it on the head. Yeah. What was your method of getting your way with Donald Trump? Well, first of all, I tried not to be a sycophant. Uh, I tried not to be a Kool-Aid drinker, whatever you know label you want to put on it. Uh, I was there to do a job. I was incredibly grateful for the opportunity. He is, after all, or was, after all, the president of the United States. So I tried to show due respect and deference to the office. But I was very blunt. I didn't mince words. I let him yell back. I yelled back at him. And we usually got to a place where we both were satisfied and I could move forward. And not a lot of people did that with him. No, you, you criticize people like Ted Cruz, well, I mean, the, the whole batch of them for being these sycophants, for people who were fawning after him and who weren't willing to basically, even when they were abused publicly, uh, to, to stand up to him. But, you know, it, these are still people in the party. How does the party deal with that cluster of people still? Well, I think people are slowly beginning to learn their lesson that, you know, you have to have a compass 
and you have to have your own true north. And if your true north and Donald Trump's true north happen to be in the same direction, then fine. If they're not, you have to be very, very uh, clear about where you stand. And I don't think you gain any points with Donald Trump or anyone like a Donald Trump by being a sycophant. And that's why I pointed it out in the Envoy. Yeah. Yeah. Your your book uh, uh, certainly doesn't have a lot of filter to it. It's it's you. Um, you cite a lot of things that's about the story of my that's the story of my life. It's no filter. <laughs> OK, well, that's all right. Uh, you cite a lot of things about what you learned about politics and diplomacy from him. But I wanted a slightly different question. What, what did Donald Trump teach you about yourself? I think he taught me that I'm capable of a lot more than I ever thought I would be. I mean, I'm a college dropout, started my own business. Parents were Holocaust survivors, as you pointed out. And I rose to one of the most consequential posts in the U.S. government, in addition to having founded and run a successful national hotel business. Uh, part of that is the United States, where everything is possible. And part of that is just not letting your own doubts get in your way. And again, I try to go through that in the book to give some people a chance to maybe consider their own lives and to think what is not possible really is. It doesn't t require a magic wand. But it also has to involve avoiding hubris, right? I mean, Donald Trump has had hubris many, many times, and it's it's kind of bit him a bit. It may have bitten him yesterday. Well, I've, I've had plenty of hubris, and it's bitten me as well. Uh, and, you know, people have pointed it out to me, and now with 2020 hindsight, I recognize it. And when you see Donald Trump's hubris, it's sort of like when you see a shade of white and then someone lays down another color sample that's whiter than the shade of white that you're looking at, all of a sudden that shade of white looks kind of gray. Uh, and and you, you listen to some of the things that, that Donald Trump does and says, and you say, boy, I have hubris. I hope I never have hubris like that. And, you know, but... That having been said, it was a very, very effective part of the package. And as I point out in the Envoy, I was willing to support that package, the package of Donald Trump, from the day he went down the escalator until January 6th, when he denied the election and did not put down the insurrection. Once that happened, that was my red line. Up until then, while I didn't agree with everything he said or did, I wasn't prepared to resign my position, just as people don't necessarily always walk off their job if they don't agree with everything the boss says or does. But January 6th to me was that was it. Yeah. Um, are we going to catch up to January 6th, do you think, as a world? Are we, are, are we going to get the villains in the right and put them in the right places? I think the energy needs to be spent on developing election integrity, not pointing fingers. I think that's a lot of bandwidth and a lot of anguish to put the country through for very little gain. I want to see a world where everyone gets to legally vote once. And then when we have an election dispute, it's just over the ballot count. It's not over the legitimacy of the ballots themselves. And that is very easy to do with technology today. I don't think that disenfranchises any voters. And I think it should be 100 percent the cost of the government to make sure that every legal voter has some kind of a biometric ID or other device 
so that once they vote, their vote is locked out, they can't vote again. And then when we have an election dispute, it's just over, did we count the ballots correctly or not? Not did the people voting have the right to vote? I could go on with it for a long time, but why can't, why can't America count its ballots faster? We get them done here in Canada that night. You know? We can go to the moon, but we can't count a ballot. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. some of it is political. Some of it is a, an anachronistic system that we want to continue to exist because in ambiguity, people can come up with all kinds of stories. And that's what makes a, a, dem a democracy dangerous is when people are able to deny a legitimate election. Yeah, well, I hope you get the ballot counting done before you get to Mars. Um, who knows? And now, look, uh, we could spend a lot of time discussing Ukraine um, and President Zelensky, the allegation of a quid pro quo and all that's very well struck out in your book. But I wonder about the path forward now. And I wonder, uh, again, let's bring Donald Trump back into this. How would Donald Trump be doing anything differently about Ukraine in this context today of a country under attack? Well, let me make sure I frame this correctly. What President Biden has done today, particularly in rallying the European Union to join us in support, as well as other allies, I think is commendable. I hope there isn't any reticence on his part or on our allies' part to put the foot on the gas full throttle and make sure that Russia is ultimately eradicated from Ukraine, those Russians that don't belong there. We have no choice. To me, it's an existential issue vis-a-vis -vis Europe. That having been said, what Trump really understood was that Putin is a signal receptor. And the signals that he would send Putin in private were very threatening, even though he praised him publicly. I'm not sure Putin would have dared to invade under Trump. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure he would have. Mm. Uh, you sound like someone who is still quite geopolitically connected and passionate. Um, have you gotten the bug for public life? Is it something you might want to do to serve again? Well, I would love to serve as an ambassador again. I feel like I had quite a learning curve. Uh, it's like any job. Once you understand what the job really is and which buttons to push, all of a sudden your effectiveness goes way up. So if I'm ever fortunate enough to serve under the right president who feels that I could help he or she, I would be delighted to do that. In terms of running for elected office, I have no plans to do that at all. Yeah, that's pretty messy business. Listen, uh, it's been great to have you with us. Uh, thanks a lot for coming in today, and uh, good luck with the book. Good luck, uh, good luck down the road. Good to see you. Thank you. I hope everyone has a chance to read The Envoy. It's actually kind of a fun read. Thank you. It is a fun read. Gordon Songlin has been my guest. Thanks a lot for watching BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. See you again. <laughs>